one of us in the wreckage, brother. Have we started the fire? Yes. The fire rises. Happy Halloween, citizens of Gotham, and welcome to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things the Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or maybe even suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can reach us by email at TFRBatPod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and I am joined once again, and as always, by my partner and my co-host, Mr. Joseph Fornerado. Joe, happy Halloween, buddy. Happy Halloween, Eric. It is, uh, it's good to be back. And as of recording this, I just realized we are, or I am at least, I don't know when you're seeing it, but I am three days from seeing Black Adam. Um, as not, of this recording, I'm not quite a Halloween movie, but I think it's it's worth noting. No, one we're definitely going to talk about. But yeah, um, I'm four days away because uh, we're going to see it on Friday night because my wife is at, in a, she she's doing army stuff and she's not going to be home for the opening Thursday night. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see it on Friday. But yeah, yeah, excited. Um, lots of news has come out about that. So yeah, looking forward to it. It is a little bit of a departure right now because I'm just so entrenched in in spooky season. Uh, we've all just seen Halloween ends. Um, we're right in the middle of Scarathon, so yeah, it's it's going to be a switch. But I think it's going to be well worth you know taking a break from the spooky season to check it out. Yeah, without a doubt. And for me personally, like yeah, it, it's a break, and it it actually made it feel like Black Adam kind of crept up on us. Like I wasn't not that I'm not anticipating it. I'm really excited for the movie, but it's still it did kind of like it just kind of becomes like a breath of fresh air now right in the middle of a uh, spooky season absolutely uh so yep we're excited about that but we are not here to talk about black adam today because of course just like last year this is our halloween special um i had a lot of fun doing our halloween episode last year we had ryan lauer on and unfortunately i just was not able to to schedule ryan this year so hopefully um i can work out something to get him for the finale of this trilogy kind of burying the lead a little bit but last year we started talking about the batman dracula trilogy we covered batman and dracula red rain so this year it just felt it just felt only natural to stick with the uh with the vampires and the blood-sucking batman and we are talking about the sequel batman bloodstorm so without further ado let's get into it Joe. So, of course, um, when you have a, a graphic novel, especially during the time when they were doing these Elseworld stories, and you have one that just does as well as Red Rain, it is only natural that we get a follow-up. Now, I don't know if um, 
Doug Minch and Kelly Jones and, and Malcolm Jones the third were expecting the success of Red Rain, and I don't know if they were expecting to do a second one, but here we are. So um, I, I guess I just want to ask, before we kind of get into talking about the story, had you ever read this book before? Did, what did you know about this trilogy? And, and just kind of give me some some backstory on your history with, with these books. So no, I, I definitely never read it before. I want to say even last year when I read Red Rain, I think that was only my second time reading that. I read Red Rain years ago, and I reread it for our episode last year. And I don't own these. So yeah, so that's right. So Red Rain is on DC Universe Infinite. The sequels are not. So last year when I went to kind of look and see how to read it, um, the only way to read it is with the Elseworlds collection if you don't own the, you know, the hardcovers like some of us are lucky enough to own. <laughs> so right. I don't remember if it, last year I, I thought about renting the Elseworlds story or I might have even read Red Rain in the Elseworlds. And that's, I keep saying Red, Red Rain, and I'm throwing myself off by saying that, the double red there. But uh, yeah, the Elseworlds collection is cool because it's literally just those three stories. So it's it's almost frustrating for me that it's the Elseworlds Volume 2 trade. If it wasn't the Elseworlds Volume 2 trade, I would probably own it. But I hate the fact that that's the name of it. Like, I'd rather just have, like, the Red Rain collection or the Batman vs. Dracula collection. My OCD doesn't allow me to just buy Volume 2 of Elseworlds and just have it on my shelf as the the vampire collection. For whatever reason, it bothers me. <laughs> so, but yeah, I this is the first time I read this book. I had never, I don't know anything about the third one either. So, I don't even know the premise of the third one. I kind of know the premise, uh, or I, I knew a little bit about the premise of this one going in because... This is the one that I, it's funny. We're like a year behind Ryan. I think Ryan covered this last year for the Batman book club. Didn't he? I think so. I know. Or maybe it might've even been the year before. I know they're doing crimson mist this year. So, yeah. So he's definitely covered it before. And I remember listening to the episode and getting kind of the gist of how it was, but I really didn't know what to expect going in other than the little few things we discussed on our episode last year with him and how like, the, the story kind of unfolded after that with the sequels. And we talked about how like they got really dark and they definitely get gory. And <laughs> it's, it's a pretty uh, interesting way of uh, evolving the story. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, as for myself, I do own the original hardcovers of, of all three, the whole trilogy. I bought them in 2020. I found all of them on eBay. Um, they're in really good shape. So I, I, I cherish these. I really like these. Um, they're just cool looking books. They're, they're very, they have a very nineties style to them. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I really, I really, uh, I tracked those down. I didn't, I didn't pay too much for them. Um, red rain. You know what it is every time the, the re the way we think about them, we always think about them at Halloween time and that's when the price of those books is going to be yes. the highest. So I have to try to remember to look for them in like May yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when nobody else is thinking about reading them. So red rain was, was definitely the costliest cause it is the most popular. Um, and that original yeah. is, is a little more pricey, but the other two, I mean, I got them pretty cheap. Um, but I mm -hmm. think in fact, now that you mention it, I think I got these books because of the Batman book club. Cause I think, yeah, that's very possible. Cause I think I did the same thing. I looked for them, but I just didn't feel like spending the money on them at that time. Yeah. Cause according to my eBay, I got them in September of 2020. So, 
that that would that, that would check out that tracks <laughs> um but yeah i i i have I had always had an affinity for red rain um because if you've listened to this show you know that i love the universal monsters i love the classic you know b movie horror movies like that um and i've always had an attachment to dracula and the wolfman they're my big two um and see i i love vampire movies i love werewolf movies so it, it just naturally drew me in and actually i had seen the batman versus dracula the animated film a long time before i ever read red rain really loved that movie mm-hmm. so it was just kind of a no-brainer to to check out red rain um and then I had in 2020, I had never read the two follow ups. So I remember buying these on eBay and getting them in and blew right through them. Um, and now they've become yearly reads for me. I read them during spooky season um, along with American Vampire, uh, which I have not had a chance to read this year. And honestly, it's such a big story now. And they just released the second omnibus. I don't know if I will get through the whole thing hmm. <laughs> this October. But anyway. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of our histories with the books, but now let's, uh, let's, so let's dive into the story just a little bit. Um, like I said, Doug mentioned Kelly Jones, a return for this one. Um, Malcolm Jones, the third as the inker did not return. Uh, we got John Beatty for this one. So I guess, could you tell any difference Joe between the, the, the way the book looked from this, from the first one to this one? You know, now that you say that, yeah, I guess it. I didn't really think of it as it being the ink, but I think the style just looks a little different. It's a little brighter with the colors, right? Like, it's just, it looks almost more cartoony and less gothic, if that makes sense. Maybe a little bit at times. I well, don't know. And maybe that there, there are definitely a lot more pops of color in this. Yeah. It, uh, so, especially like with, with Catwoman um, and Joker obviously there, there are a lot more pops, but there's, there's some color differentiations, I think between this one and the first one. Yeah. And also it's always hard because when you're doing the digital reproductions, uh, I would assume with the Elseworlds, they were all reproduced at the same time with that collection. So it should be pretty consistent. You never know what they did as far as tinkering, if they remastered them, but these should be pretty, I don't think they would have remastered these because they're pretty recent stories, but that's just, Put an asterisk no, next to anything because you never know what they're going to do with the digital books. Yeah, that's true. But I will say, I mean, I'm I'm holding the the original hardcover from '94. I mean, it's almost mm-hmm. a 30 year old book, and the colors pop. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it looks. I mean, other than of course the Kelly Jones art that puts it in a certain era, it looks like a modern book. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean they 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 definitely went a little. I would say a little brighter than the standard nineties comic was. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so far as the actual story itself, I mean, you, uh, I I've heard you say, I'm not sure how this is going to go. Cause I don't think you like this one as much as the first one. Um, but we'll get into that, but this book <laughs> is very much uh Joker heavy. So we've, we've gone from the first one where we know that Batman faced off against Dracula. Um, he ended up getting, bitten by Dracula at the end of the first book and before he eventually killed Dracula. So we know now that Batman is a vampire Um, and he had already started to get some kind of vampiric powers in the first one. Like he had wings Mm -hmm. and stuff, but he's full on vampire now, but 
He's striving to be a vampire that does not suck blood. He has a he has a serum that Alfred has helped him manufacture that's kind of a blood substitute that keeps him from from attacking humans and drinking human blood. Um, but of course, that is only a temporary fix. It's starting to have less and less effect. And as he's struggling through this, the Joker has come back to Gotham and he knows all about the vampires and he has decided to take up with Dracula's horde that is left and become their new leader. And he convinces them to go after Gotham's crime families and, and stop just, you know, with the homeless population and the, and the dregs and things like that. And to go after the more high profile people in Gotham. And of course it's the, it's the Gotham underworld, the crime world. Um, so in the middle of this, we also have Catwoman, a very, unique version of Catwoman wrapped up to, into this story and he becomes this love interest or she becomes this love interest for Batman um, throughout and becomes kind of kind of his um, I don't know what would you call it Joe um, like his saving grace almost like yeah, yeah just, exactly yeah he needed that it's it's kind of like Tanya was in the first book yes very much it's so. to keep him from going over the edge and to becoming like Dracula so anyway, that's that's, yeah, the, that's kind of the broad strokes. Without burying the lead there, yeah, that's kind of the 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 I guess you would say the message of the book is that the love of a like the love of a woman is what keeps him from crossing that line, I guess. Right, yeah. Um so yeah, that's kind of the, just the broad strokes of the story, but Joe, tell me why you hate Batman Bloodstorm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I definitely don't hate it, but when I first started it, I will say the thing that's so great about Red Rain is it doesn't fall into the trap of the typical Elseworlds story like we talked about. Like They didn't find ways to to shoehorn this character or this character in, and I think the problem I had with this one when we started it, or when I started reading it, was, ugh, like it's... We're just going to throw the Joker in this story because how can you have a Batman story without the Joker? And I'll be honest with you, from the from the get-go the joker is my least favorite part of this book without question i could not stand the fact i would have preferred any other way to tell this story without the joker being in it because it just seems very forced that's um see that's interesting to me because the joker is one part that i really really like about this book actually because i think this is absolutely a golden opportunity for the joker i think this is something that he would jump all over it would not affect him one bit that this is not normal and this shouldn't happen. He would no, he would hit the ground running. My only question, do they ever explain why nobody kills the Joker? Like why the Draculas don't even try to overthrow him? I mean the uh the vampires. Well like he just comes in and he's their boss, and that's it. Well, he so they do um attempt I mean they because at the beginning when he first finds the horde. So he has, you know, he has a holy water and he has uh, crosses and stuff like that. So he's warding them off. Okay. And then he convinces them, you know, he tells them he has a plan yeah. to make them more prosperous in Gotham City. And um, I think the faith of him snapping the cross and throwing it away mm -hmm. while he's explaining this plan he has for them yeah, so, so gives them that trust. Plan. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I but throughout the book, not... I mean, Creech, which was um, Dracula's right hand man, which is now yes. becomes the Joker's right hand man, 
he threatens him throughout the book. Mm-hmm. You know, if your plan doesn't work, we're, we're, you know, we're draining you first. Yeah. And again, like, I'm not even saying it's not accurate to the portrayal of Joker. It was just more of like, it's not the story I was interested in, I guess. Yeah. Cause it's yeah. in a book where you're getting Batman as a vampire and a horde of vampires. I'm not really interested in vampire Batman versus regular Joker. I guess that was the thing was like, maybe if Batman was still just Batman, I'd be a little bit more intrigued, but I was much more intrigued in vampire Batman versus vampires now. And maybe if like the Joker turned by the end or made it like, cause he doesn't right? I mean, it's been a week since I've read this. We're a little, <laughs> we're a little uh, late with recording, but right. Like Joker doesn't turn at the end. No, he doesn't, but we'll get to that. There's well, a reason. Yeah, okay. Now turn. it's coming. Yeah. It's coming to yeah. me now. So like, there's just, yeah. Now I'm remembering like, I get the point of the Joker by the end of the book, but in mm. the beginning I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not really interested in the Joker being in it. So I guess it, it kind of made sense as the book went on. But in the beginning, to me, it was like I wasn't really interested. It had to win me over by the end of the book. And I was, but I will say, going on like how it falls into that Elseworlds trap of introducing different characters, I will say I really enjoyed Catwoman in this. Yeah, I did too. And and the different take on Catwoman, because she's not, she's just Selena Kyle in this book. Like, but she's not. Past relationship. It's not like they took an established. Catwoman and made her into uh, a wear, I mean, a wear cat. Is that what they're going with? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Which there's some interesting things that they do with the vampire mythology in the, in these books. Um, I didn't know what you knew about the history of all like the wear animals that they discuss. And so there is a history of like Dracula turning into a wolf. Um, he, He, you know, obviously everybody knows he turns into a bat, but if you read the Bram Stoker novel, he does turn into a wolf. Um, he turns into a wolf in the movie too, right? The in the in the Gary Oldman movie, yes, yes. Because I think uh, I remember watching that and being like, "Eric, what the hell am I watching? Why is Dracula a, a wolf now?" Because I didn't know that was he, a thing. <laughs> yeah, but he's much more of a of a werewolf in that movie than he is mm-hmm. an actual wolf. But if you watch okay. even even if you watch the Bella Lugosi movie, they don't show it. But they but when he escapes, like. Um, Van Helsing and and the the um the other men for the first time um one of the men looks out the window and says look there's a wolf running across the lawn oh okay so I haven't gotten to is... that yet this year oh I'm sorry <laughs> no 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 that's fine uh, I watched it last year but it's good to you know now I'll I'll look for that kind of stuff when I watch it this year and honestly yeah, that's so... my favorite part about these books is it's getting me into that lore and you know, to, to have Batman cross over into this other world that like, I might not pick up just a Dracula book, but this is getting me into that kind of world and has me like asking questions. And I mean, I was the guy asking you and Ryan all the questions last year about the history of like, right. Uh, of the vampires and everything. So it's fun to, to kind of get into that. So there, yeah, there's always been this loose connection between vampires and wolves in general. Cause I mean, even, you know, the, the classic Bella Lugosi line of, of when they hear the wolves howling mm-hmm. and he says, ah, listen, what, you know, what sweet music they make the children, you know, the children of the night. So it, that's, 
that there is a wolf connection. And then, you know, they just kind of take it a step further because I think they just wanted werewolves and were animals in this story as well. Yeah. So they have this, uh, that Creech, this other vampire, he can change into the form of a, of a werewolf. And I guess mm-hmm. if you're bitten by him in that form, you become a were animal, which is what happens to Selena. And she becomes a quote unquote cat woman. Yeah, I, I like all the way that things are explained in this book. I mean, kind of jumping around a little bit, but I love, I I want to say it's like their version of Leslie Tompkins, but it's their, like the doctor that he goes to for like explanations of what's going on. Um, yeah, she's, uh, she was in the first one too. She's like an yes, occult I remember her spe- being specialist. There. Yeah. And she like tries to find like scientific explanations for everything going on. And it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to do in a Batman book because like, obviously Batman is going to try to find like how this could possibly be happening. Like what is an explanation for this? And he, you know, he's, he's a vampire at this point. He's a full fledged vampire and he's still trying to rationalize the whole situation. Cause he's, it's just, he I love that. Cause that's, going the, on. that's such Batman's mind, even though he, you know, he knows that he is a vampire. He is a, yeah. he's a supernatural creature. He still needs the logic. You know, he still needs that scientific explanation. And that um, kind of stuff is what grounds a story as ridiculous as this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's why Um, I like that. um, So, yeah, I did. I absolutely love the Catwoman stuff. Um, I love that, again, as we talked about, she, as her and Batman meet, um, and it's, they're, they're kind of confrontational just for a second. And then they realize that they kind of need each other um, mm-hmm. because I think Batman is her link into this supernatural world. And she is his anchor to staying to his anchor to humanity. I guess it keeps him yeah. from going over the, over the line. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, I love the tortured element of Batman trying to, you know, keep from being that monster that Dracula was. Um, and they, and he they tr- touch on, they touch on the fact that that was, uh, was it Tanya? in the first book yes tanya it, so it was tanya in the first book and now she's gone he's losing that will to do that it's it's getting harder and harder for him and that's where catwoman becomes a an integral part of the story because he needs someone to bring him back to humanity like you were saying before yeah um i, I will say one of the parts that i don't like about this one that i really liked about the first one is there's a lot less gordon and alfred in this one, they're like peppered throughout the book here and there. Um, and we know that Batman has kind of recruited them to be his daytime help. Like they, like they go after the vampires during the daytime so mm-hmm. that Batman and Catwoman can go after them at night. So they're attacking them at both angles using their strengths. Yeah. Obviously Batman can't go out in the daytime anymore. So I do like that, but it seemed like there was a lot less, especially of Gordon. Like he was just there to, to be the daytime cop and you barely saw him in the book. Yeah. I guess that's the, that's the, the negative side to introducing two new main characters in the Joker and Catwoman as you're going to mm-hmm. show more of them. But I will say what we got of Gordon and Alfred is so important to the story and everything yeah. we get with them is great, which probably makes it worse that we don't get as much of them. Cause right. you want more yeah. because when they play such a huge emotional part, especially at the end of the book. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, as we go through the book, we see that, um, especially because Catwoman, Catwoman is enraged over this, this one particular vampire who in his wolf form has cursed her with this, with this new life. So her primary reason for, for going after them is to get revenge on him. Batman is of course, I mean, he's on this mission to take out every vampire. And then we have Joker who is leading this horde to take over the crime world and to, to eliminate basically all the competition and make them more of the undead. So of course the mission becomes between Batman and Catwoman and Gordon and um, Alfred is to take out these, these vampires. So they systematically go through every like big, big crime mansion and underworld and every, everywhere they can go during the day and the night to take out these vampires which I thought was a pretty neat part of the story was seeing, you know, Gordon and the cops doing it during the day and then seeing Batman and, and uh, Catwoman at night. Um, you could see it as almost like an eighties montage in a movie. It, it, we, yeah, it was very much like that. And we, yeah. you know, we weren't too far removed from the eighties at this point. So exactly. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. There were, there were early nineties montages too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the the fact that the and we didn't even talk about this because this was at the beginning of the book. But I love the wooden stakes with the metal inside. That's you know that's balanced that that yep. Alfred makes like the, for for Batman the gothic batarangs basically. Yes, yeah, and they've of course they've got the Batman iconography with the ears and the wings yep. and stuff like that. Because of course branding, even even in something <laughs> as as dark and horrifying as this, you've got to have branding, right? Yes. <laughs> um. But yeah. Uh, so basically the the direction this story goes is of course as the more vampire hordes that 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 are that our heroes take out the the numbers dwindle and it ends up being a final confrontation between these vampires led by the Joker and Batman and Catwoman and Batman and Catwoman take out all of these vampires and it's just them and the Joker left the Joker decides to end it all and he shoots a stake crossbow at Batman. And in an act of sacrifice, Catwoman steps in the way, takes the takes the uh, stake to the heart, which of course kills her. And now it's just Batman left. And Batman has lost everything at this point. I mean, he's still got Alfred, but you know, it's it's been this this byline through the two books that this you know the love of a woman keeps him sane and keeps him away from this dark path, and now he has nothing to keep him from this dark path. So of course, this leads to the end of the Joker, which I think you know. There's that whole as he's dying, he's laughing because Batman attacks the Joker. Mm-hmm. He, he bite you know he breaks his neck and then he bites him, but. The Joker is laughing hysterically the whole time, and which a uh, weirdly, strangely, it kind of reminded me of the end of the Dark Knight, not because of story plot or anything like that, because the Joker won. Oh, I was thinking Dark Knight Returns as you were saying that. No, the Dark Knight, because he, he, yeah. Batman even says the Joker won. Yeah. In and the it, book. It's funny because like my critique. Uh, critique of the Joker being this, I, I I have to try to remind myself that this is an early '90s book, and it's a very well done job of showing Batman lose to the Joker by you know killing the Joker, and it, it showed the whole throughout the whole story. It's Batman's battle with 
the taste for blood and his inner monologue and the entire book is all about that. So the, you know, showing that he's at his end when Catwoman dies and then for him to basically, yeah, like the Joker is laughing hysterically because he won. And you're right. It does. It does definitely evoke the dark Knight. Um, it's it's Joker's ultimate plan is to get Batman to kill him so he wins and Joker doesn't even care that he dies as long as Batman loses. And yeah, yeah. that's where that's where like we were talking about before. As much as maybe in the beginning I wasn't as interested as I maybe should have been with the Joker being in it. The more you read through the book, you learn, okay, they had a story to tell with this. That's why the Joker played such a huge part because I don't think that ending means as much if it's not the Joker. No, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, because, of course, it would be the Joker to drive Batman to this point. Yeah, I mean, the, jo- the Batman's um, been, you know, fighting vampires this whole time and dealing with vampires and even, a, you know, a werewolf to an extent. And, and no, like, what gets him is the Joker. Yeah, exactly. So Batman is just distraught. He's beside himself. He knows that he's he's crossed that line. He knows what he now will become even further so his final act and it's oh god this is this is a, the heaviest part of the book is that he makes his way back to um his i guess is i don't know if it's in the bat cave or not but it's kind of like his his tomb mm-hmm. and he has a slab there and he and he basically makes it back there by daylight so that he can he can take his rest um and he leaves a note for gordon and alfred explaining what's happened and what needs to happen. So the end of the book is a very heavy hearted in tears, Gordon and Alfred having to put a stake through Batman's heart, which man, that's, I mean, even though this is like you said, this is a ridiculous story. Um, but that is a very heavy moment because if you look, I mean, the history of, of Batman with these two men that we've, you can't help but think of all that history, even though it doesn't apply to this book, all that history between these three men. And now they have to, they're both father figures really for Batman. Yeah. Cause, and they have to, they have to bring an end to him. Well, yeah. Cause even despite the fact that we might not know what their histories are in the context of this book, I think the book does a, a good enough job of at least setting up the relationship, even even the fact that Gordon and Alfred are working together at this point shows you how much both of them care about Batman or even Bruce Wayne at this point, obviously uh, at this point, commissioner Gordon's in on what's going on. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, like, like, yeah, for such a ridiculous concept of Batman becoming a, a vampire still, you look at it as Alfred, especially a father having to, kill his son because he's become a monster and you have to put him down at his wish. And, and it's like, they almost had this conversation. Like Alfred knew this could happen the minute. Like, it's almost like they said, like, if this ever happens, Alfred, you have to be the one to do this because I'm not going to let myself fully become a monster. And yeah, it was just understood. If, even if they didn't have that conversation, it was understood. And yeah, it's a, it's a very, it's a very impactful way to end this book, which I think for a story that maybe isn't as good as the first one, all in all, I argue that maybe I might remember this one more 
due to the fact that it has such a I think this has that stronger punctuation, the stronger explanation point at the end where, yeah, I mean the, the fact that he becomes a vampire at the end of the first one is pretty awesome too, but it's just, yeah, it's not just that final page, you know, to really, uh, you know, send it home. Right. And that, that makes me very curious what you're going to think of crimson mist. Yeah. I don't know what the heck is going on. Like that's, I almost think that might hurt a lot because this is such a great ending. And I remember you guys be like, Oh, wait till you see the sequels. And (laughs) I have no idea what happens in the third one. Not a clue. So I can't wait to see. I, I hope it's, I hope it's good. That's all I really got to say, because I hope, I hope they make me buy into wherever they bring them back or, or if the whole third one is just Batman being dead the whole time. And it's just whatever. Uh, but so the question that. is, are you going to read that one this year? Or are you going to wait until the episode for next year? You know what? That's a good question. It depends how busy I am. I might, I might finish it this year just because I am interested in it. And I, I don't really have anything else that I need to read right now. And I think it'd be a good one to go right into, but yeah. And then it, it might be nice to have it as a second read for next year. Spoiler alert. I guess yeah. we're covering this next year, whether I like it or not. So <laughs> <laughs> You, you're right about that. <laughs> well, we have to. Um, Come on, you can't cover at the this first point. Thing. We have yeah. to, yeah. What well, that would be a kick in the teeth, wouldn't it? Yeah. And next year we're covering uh, Castle of the Bat. <laughs> yeah. I do feel bad for anyone that's listening to the episode if they like couldn't find a way to get it. Um, I don't even know how much it is oh, to buy on Comicsology. That's a, that's a good point. Um, I do want to bring up, yeah, it, it, this one for whatever reason is not on DC Universe Infinite. Um, I'll plug Ryan's this might as well this episode might as well be brought to you by Batman Book Club because I'm going to plug Ryan's favorite app Hoopla because that's how I read it yeah the Hoopla is a great way to to read it if you don't have availability to uh, to read it you know online um, or through DCUI which we don't we probably should don't want to buy it on Comixology we probably should have started the episode by saying read it on Hoopla but or or, yeah you know where we could find the uh the book but if you're still listening and <laughs> are looking for a way to read the book um that's where that's where i read it and the dc elseworlds volume two which i talk about uh anywhere you can get yep. that is a good place to read it yeah I- i'm hoping that maybe um when the library on dc universe infinite expands next month mm-hmm. it'll be on there yeah because i know they're putting a lot more stuff on there um so I- maybe it'll end up there i don't know why they wouldn't so yeah, hopefully. Um, but I did want to, there was one thing I actually thought of while we were talking and I wanted to bring it up and I don't know if you noticed this. I don't know if anybody noticed this. They kind of gave Alfred a tiny bit of a Renfield spin in this book. And the reason I say that is because I was noticing as I was reading through it, he never calls him Master Bruce in this book. I think he does in the first one, but in this one, he always calls him the Master. Oh, okay. I don't know what Renfeld is. Whatever you're saying, that's obviously a he's the, the lore thing. Yeah, it is. It's it's um, it's kind of like the precursor to uh, to Igor, I guess, okay. or kind of in that vein. You know, he's the guy that eats flies and stuff in the in the Dracula movie. <laughs> okay, you know, he's. Yeah. Anyway, he always the master, the master. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, 
that's that's what I thought of, and I don't even know if that's the way if that's the direction Doug Minch was going. Yeah, but like if that was even it the struck me not. while I was right, but it just struck me in this is that okay that this is the new this is the Batman version of Renfield because he he's of course you know absolutely loyal mm-hmm. to Batman, and he calls him the master constantly in this in this book. Um, in fact, there is no really. There is nothing left of Bruce Wayne in this book. No, it, it would make sense because, like, yeah, he's Master Bruce in the first book because he's not a vampire yet. Where the minute he becomes a vampire, now they're they're making that transition. Yeah. So that was just something I noticed. Um, I did want to talk about just just briefly. I did want to bring up um, we had talked about the pop the popularity of the first one, and it was no different with this one. Um, when this book came out, it was the fourth most ordered and fourth best-selling graphic novel of 1994. Um, The only books that beat it that year were Superman Under a Yellow Sun, Wolverine Evolution, and Wolverine Fury Scorpio Rising. Um, And I would like to mention that all three of those books were six bucks. This one was 25. I've never even heard of that Superman book. I haven't either. I was um, actually just thinking, like, we don't get a lot of straight-to-trade or straight-to-hardcover books anymore. That's very rare. It is, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I, I'll have to check out that Superman Under a Yellow Sun, because apparently it was very, very well-selling uh, that year. But mm-hmm. anyway, so to be, I mean, to be the fourth highest-selling book of a year, I mean, it, it tells you how popular it was. And then even by May of 95 it was still among the top 15 most ordered graphic novels. Oh, wow. So yeah, it, it did very, very well, which explains why we got Crimson Mist. <laughs> so yeah, that it's, uh, it's oh, one that so I, Superman under, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Never mind. It says it's a novel, but it's not a novel. Yeah. I, I looked it up too. It says it's a novel by Clark Kent. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it's, yeah. So I'm sorry. I thought it was actually like a like a novel, like no pictures, like not an actual comic, but that's not true. Yeah. Never mind. But either way, yeah, that's uh, I will say for this book and and I guess this kind of to wrap it up. This is kind of my final thoughts on the book. It's really really good, I think. I don't think it's as good as Red Rain. Um I do think it misses a little bit of that aspect of having Dracula in it cuz mm-hmm. I mean that first one's just when you have Batman versus Dracula, that's just a big draw. Um, those are two gigantic names in the world of fiction. And it's just kind of like it's lightning in a bottle when you can put those two together. And it this book does miss having Dracula in it. Having said that, it's it's a very worthy sequel, I think. Um, and, you know... I do think it suffers from time to time from the Kelly Jones art. I love Kelly Jones in a certain style, but there's some places where like we talked about it in the first book and that's why I really didn't want to harp on it here. But even from the beginning to the end, some of the characters look a little bit different. The Joker, his look changes radically throughout the book, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, And it seems like at the end of each book, Gordon and Alfred end up looking like caricatures of themselves. Like they just have big foreheads, big mm-hmm. cheeks, big ears. It just, they 
sometimes they don't look like that. And then by the end of the book, they definitely look like that. So that's always kind of a nitpick I have. But otherwise, this is a book that I really, really enjoy. Like I said, I read it every year and I look forward to it every time spooky season's coming up, reading this whole trilogy. So yeah, as a, as a, as a follow-up, I think it's very, very worthy and a very good story to follow up Red Rain. Um, but that I'll turn it over to you, Joe. Give me some final thoughts on Batman Bloodstorm. Well, I do agree with you. And I'm, I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth here when I say that, like, I give them credit for not bringing Dracula back. Uh, they wanted to tell at least a different story here. And the story evolves. And I get that the natural next story would be, hey, let's introduce some some traditional Batman villains. So I get why they introduced the Joker and introducing Catwoman as a love interest. All that makes sense. It was just the beginning was a little jarring for me, but I think they landed it very well. I think it's an interesting story. And it's funny as much as, yeah, I think the first book is better. I do think this has more memorable moments, um, which I think for a sequel, that says a lot for especially one that, I, like I said in the beginning, I wasn't that interested in the the direction they were taking it, but um, it's still an enjoyable read and it gave me definitely an interest. It's funny. Like if I, if I just read this and it was it, I'd be like, Oh, there's a great ending. But knowing that there's another book, I'm really intrigued by what they did for a third one because they didn't repeat themselves in this one, which I really do commend them for. So I'm really curious how they mm -hmm. ended it. And as far as the Kelly Jones art, if any story lends itself or if Kelly Jones lends himself to any story, um, this is the perfect story for his art. In my opinion, I, I think it's perfect. And I don't even notice those inconsistencies in the art because I think it just, it works really well in this, uh, whether it be, you know, the time frame, if you're going to assume it's a little bit of that gothic time frame or just that style, I think it works really well with the story they're telling. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. Um, I did want to bring up, I just saw it, I, and this is something I'm kind of interested in because I don't think I've ever read it, but I'm going to search it out. Uh, so according to what I'm reading here, Jones illustrated a story uh, set in the trilogy's universe in Infinite Halloween Special Number 1. And it's titled Red Rain Bloodlust. And it tells the story of a vampiric Batman brutally murdering Dick Grayson's parents. Ooh. And is narrated by the Mad Hatter. So that is something I'm going to have to look into. I've read... Because I have... I've never even seen that book. I've DCU, DCU Infinite had an infinite crisis Christmas special that I saw. So I'm assuming it's the same year that that came out. Well, it it says it came out, which is so weird It's infinite Halloween special number one, but it came out in December of 2007. Yeah. Cause that was when infinite crisis was. Yeah. But December. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I can't, I can't speak to that. Um, yeah. That's a little weird unless that's like when the collected version came out. Or the paperback version, but 2007 we weren't doing digital, so I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, so I'm gonna have to see if that one's on DC Universe Infinite, so I can check that one out. Yeah, that's interesting. But either way, yeah. So that's kind of where we're gonna. That's where we're gonna wrap it up for the Batman Dracula Batman Bloodstorm portion of this episode. We hope you guys enjoyed that. We hope you guys are reading these and 
hope you come back next year to for for crimson mist but we're not quite ready to leave you yet because of course as you know we've been covering uh the batman the animated series episodes in our 30th anniversary btas celebration All right, Joe, so we have two absolute bangers today for uh, our reviews here. And we're going to start with our first one, and it is titled A Bullet for Bullock. And in the synopsis here, this is just a quick one, but someone has put out a hit on Gotham's toughest cop, Harvey Bullock. And after surviving several near misses, Bullock realizes he has no chance but to reluctantly ask Batman to help him discover who is behind the murder attempts. During their investigation, Bullock learns that his gruff and mean-spirited manner has created enemies in the unlikeliest of people. So, Joe, tell me your thoughts on A Bullet for Bullock. It's one of those episodes that has such a different feel for it for Batman the Animated Series, but it's one that's very memorable. It's one that I think all Mm -hmm. of us talk about because it's one that we remember. And I always remember... It's funny, it's, it's another one of those where it's like, okay, I remember liking that one. And every time I watch it, I forget what the twist is or who's actually coming after. Because I don't think, as in, like, obviously it's important to the story, but it's still not, it's like, it's like the ride to get there is what's fun about the episode, not necessarily the ending. And it's just cool to see Bullock's interactions with Batman, which is what makes the episode, because their relationship in the animated series was such a different dynamic. And it was always fun to see them interact. And right from the get-go, you see them, you know, Bullock doesn't back down from Batman, but Batman's still going to tell him like it is. It, it's it's a really cool way to see the two of them interact a lot in this, you know, 22-minute episode. Well, the, it's the odd couple aspect. Mm-hmm. Because they're always kind of at odds with each other. And it's it's just, it's kind of neat, I think, as a character to see Bullock have to go to Batman for help. And they still have this almost like disgruntled respect for each other. Like they don't want to respect each other, but they can't help it because they, they both want, they both want the same thing. So it's like, I don't even know if respect is the right word, but they're, they, they at least appreciate what the other is, is doing, whether they like it or not. I don't know. It's, 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 it's such a fun it is a fun relationship. Like just the fact that what does he call Batman? He says like you're sleazy and something, and those are your good qualities. Like I don't remember. Like it's just I love the just the the straightforward way that Bullock talks to Batman because you don't see that too much. No, no, you're right. You don't, and and I don't know. There's 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 a quality to the episode, and I noticed this through like the music. And, you know, that we're following this very old school style cop mm-hmm. who doesn't always do anything on the um, on the straight and narrow. He very much reminds you of what they call him, like the old, the old gumshoe detectives. And there's this. Jazz noir style music. I love the music that plays episode. a lot. Yes, it, yes it it's great very old music. school mob movie from like the 50s <laughs> like that's yeah 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 and it, it just it fits bullock so well mm-hmm. and it, it's so funny you know this this gruff exterior that we have with harvey bullock but yet he's one of the most beloved characters in batman lore yeah like he's still so likable because he he is how he is but 
he's a cop in Gotham. <laughs> like, can you really blame him for being the way he is? And yeah, that doesn't mean you have to agree with everything he does, but I love the fact that they have that line for him where he still, he does things where he like, doesn't want internal affairs investigating him and stuff, but then Batman accuses him of being on the take. And that's where he's insulted. Like, no, like I may be who I am, but there's no way I would ever be on the take. I love that. Like he still has his morals and his code. It's just a different code than what, you know, maybe a cop should have, but in Gotham, he does what he needs to do. And he's not unlike Batman. The difference is Batman doesn't have a badge. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think just, you know, they, they go through the whole episode and they're, they're taking these different angles and going through all these different avenues and enemies that it could be that is targeting Bullock. And at the end of the day, when it ends up being Bullock's landlord, <laughs> Because Bullock is just a terrible renter. <laughs> yeah. And he, well, he actually <laughs> says it's almost like just he's a terrible person. Like, yeah, he he just hates him being there. It's not that he's a bad tenant, like he doesn't pay his bills or anything. He just, he's just like, he picks on him. He makes fun of the guy all the time. <laughs> like, it's just, he literally is just saying, like, it's just because you're a mean person. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's great. Who and happens it, to be my tenant. And as, as silly as that is, because it's kind of silly. It it works so well for the episode. And it's a good I, I really love it. It's a good message that like you never know all the crazy stuff that Bullock has done to all these different people. He never suspected it to be just an average guy that he's just not nice to. Like what a great message for adults. Fine. But for kids, it is a simple message that for a kid's show, it's hopefully spelled out simple enough where kids would get that. Like just be nice to people because you never know. like who you're just dismissing. No. Yeah. 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 You're absolutely right. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, Oh, I, I also wanted to bring up, I, I, I usually point this out when I think it's the case. And I absolutely do think it's the case here. The animation is top notch in this one. Mm -hmm. I think, I think it's just grade a animation for this episode. Um, there's a shot close to the very beginning of the episode where Batman kind of, lands on a roof and slowly rises and he's in shadow, but you know, his cape is enveloping him and the animation just blows me away in certain episodes. And this is one of them. And it doesn't seem like, you know, we've talked about like the a team versus the B team with animation before. It doesn't seem like a bullet for Bullock would be one that would get the a team treatment, but it absolutely looks like it. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but, uh, well, who's the writer on this episode? Was it a Paul Dini episode? Ooh, that's a good question. Hold on. I should have probably looked that up first, but I wonder if like, oh, Paul Dini's written this episode. Let's get the A-team for this one. Like, you never know if that's what they're thinking. No, it, it was written by Michael Reeves and directed by Frank Parr. Wow. And honestly, I'll be completely honest. I do not recognize those names at all. So I give them credit for having faith in those two writers. No, Yeah, absolutely. Um but yeah, I I think I don't. This one didn't make my top five. If I no, it did not. But it could. I mean, it's it's one of those. It's so memorable and it's so good that yeah, it's 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 one that's always on a lot of people's you know top of lists. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worthy. It's it's a very fun episode. Yeah, and it's a rare one that 
does not have Robin in it from the second season, despite having the Batman and Robin Adventures title. Yep, for sure. Um, but I did want to bring up that that one was chosen by Jim Bob Squarepants and Javier Vargas. So congratulations, guys. We finally got in there. Uh, we're, work- <laughs> we're working through these episodes. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, but that's, uh, do you have anything else on a bullet for Bullock, Joe? Nope, that's it. Okay, so uh, we're going to move into our next one, uh, which I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I am going to gush over. <laughs> and it is Beware the Grey Ghost. Um, okay, so before I gush, let me let me give the, the little synopsis here. So Gotham City is struck by a series of remote activated bombings as a warning to a ransom demand. Batman realizes that the pattern of recent bombings is based off of an old episode of a television show featuring his favorite boyhood hero, the Grey Ghost. Seeking information, Batman visits the actor who played the TV hero, Simon Trent, who has now become a down-on-his-luck typecast actor who cannot get new roles because of his notoriety as the Grey Ghost. Working together, Simon Trent as the Grey Ghost teams with Batman to bring down the criminal and to save his reputation. So Joe, before I go on and on, tell me Mm. your thoughts on the Grey Ghost. Just you telling the synopsis almost gives me like goosebumps thinking about the whole typecasting thing and knowing that it's Adam West playing the part. And this was actually at the point where he had finally overcome that for himself and just learned to embrace himself as Batman uh, after all those years. Cause he went for a long time, like trying to distance himself from that. Um, I should say you're not allowed to gush over this cause you don't gush over the 60s show like most of us do, but this is such, a I'm going to get into that. <laughs> um, did I have this in my top five? I don't remember. Cause this is one that would probably be on the cusp. I, I don't have yours written down. Yeah, I probably um, should have remembered mine. Because I don't, for some reason, I feel like I left it off. Because I watch this one all the time. And I kind of found, mm-hmm. like, new loves with a couple other episodes maybe that bumped this one. But I this might be my most watched of any BTAS episode. Because of my love for Adam West. And it's just an episode that I know too well to just kind of throw it on in the background. Like I do it a lot. Um, yeah, I, I can't gush about this episode enough either. So go on and we'll just gush together. So this was my number one episode Okay, on our top five list. This is my absolute all time favorite episode of Batman, the animated series. Um, there's a lot in this episode that really speaks to me as a Batman fan. And what's funny about it is, is this was my favorite as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like this was my favorite long before I knew that the person voicing the gray ghost was a Batman actor. Like I did not know as a kid that this was Adam West. Okay. Um, had no idea. And even so I absolutely love this episode. And yes, I'm not, I'm not the world's biggest fan of the 60s series, um, but I have so much admiration and respect for Adam West um, because of because of what he did for the character of Batman and for the for the you know way he thrust that character into the spotlight. 
Um, because who knows what would have happened if we had not had that show, you know, um, I don't, Batman was not in the best spot so far as comics at the time. I mean, it really rejuvenated that character. So to have him in this show and, and there's just multiple elements, um, coming down to the smallest element of, of the typecasting and that being an L that being a, you know, a mirror of what Adam West went through because he was typecast and he did not, I don't think he became the actor of the capability that he had in him because of him being typecast. Now he got a lot of fame later in life by doing other things like being part of family guy and things like that. But he was always Batman and some people embrace that and run with it. And some people for a brief amount of time, I mean, it it even happened with Michael Keaton. It becomes a curse Yeah, and you get stuck and that's all anybody ever sees. And it's a fight and it's a, it's a scratch and a claw. Luckily we're in a day and age now where playing a superhero does not do that. It's the opposite. Now playing a superhero in a lot of cases launches your career. Yeah. It gets or, you other parts. I mean, look at, yeah, people, because you're, you're so recognizable that now people are going to come watch your other movies. And I mean, I think we're all guilty yeah. of that with a lot of the Marvel cast, especially because they did a lot of casting of no names. Well, even with Robert Downey Jr., I mean, it yep. can save your career. Yep. So uh, it, there's a, it's just, and I'll even bring this up just because it's recent. It's on my mind. We were talking about Dracula. You know, I told you the other day I was watching the behind the scenes uh, or, or some of the bonus features of Dracula, the, the original Dracula with Bella Lugosi. And they were talking about kind of the legacy of Lugosi and one of these special features and he got so typecast as Dracula, even though he only played him twice, mm-hmm. that he was in such a bad way um, just a few years after that movie that he couldn't get parts. He went through three agents in a matter of years just because he was stuck as Dracula and nobody wanted to give him a chance at anything else. And I think that happened with Adam West. And to see him come into this series and to voice this character, which you know had to have been, you know, an honor, of course, but also just a reminder of, yeah, this is me, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, there's, there's a lot of depth to it and it, it really hits me hard, um, watching the episode and sh- this episode, it, I mean, it's so fun and it's such an homage to, to so many things that it shouldn't, I mean, it's an animated kids show. It should not hits you the way that this this episode hits me but it, it it almost at times gets me emotional oh definitely because it's just and and it's not only those aspects like the adam west aspect i talked about but it's it's you see through like the kid bruce wayne's mm-hmm. eyes watching his hero just i mean much like we grew up watching batman and, and you see Bruce with his dad you, a rare spot in this series where you see exactly Bruce thomas wayne and and kevin conroy voicing uh, Thomas Wayne is a great touch too. Yeah, it is. And and you kind of just see that, um, like absolutely the gray ghost kind of replaces Zorro in this role Yeah, in the animated series. Um, but you, I mean, you see him getting to meet his hero and to work with him, which is kind of a connection to his dad and <clears throat> that father figure he, he, he didn't have growing up and, but he had the gray ghost and he always loved the gray ghost. 
he, I mean, I thought it was such a neat touch when the gray ghost goes to the Batcave in the episode. He says, mm-hmm. this is an exact replica yeah. of the lair from the show. And Batman shows him his shrine to the gray ghost. Yep. And I don't know. I mean, even the story, the story doesn't even really mean that much. I mean, the, the story of, of who the villain is. I mean, it's this, this guy that, you know, he, he was a toy enthusiast and I thought they were going toy maker for a while when I first watched this show. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause um, like that becomes such an irrelevant part of the story. Like even as many times as I've watched this, I'm like, I don't even remember how this ends. Like I have no recollection of how the episode ends other than like, yeah, I think it's the toy guy that's the villain, but like, it doesn't even matter. Like, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is the relationship between Grey Ghost and Batman. And, and I love, like, like you said, with the, with the whole thing with, you know, him showing the sh- the shrine and he's like, oh, so it wasn't for nothing. And you think like just yeah. watching this as a kid or even us now, like we're, we're adults and we have our, our shrines to Batman as kids and think like, or I mean, as adults, like we have our shrines in our houses and stuff. And yeah. you would think like if we in the real world somehow became superheroes, we would model ourselves after Batman the same way Batman is modeling himself after Grey Ghost. Like it, it makes sense. And for a kid to watch this, you have to love that, you know, and it, it, it hits on so many levels between, you know, uh, like I said, with Bruce and his dad, with that flashback and, and him modeling the Batcave after his stuff and, him seeing the Batcave and, and just being in awe of it because it's, it's like his, his show that he was a part of became a reality. And it, mm-hmm. there's just so much great stuff in the, in the episode. It's, it's hard to even cut it down to, to discuss it like we are, but there's Adam West has become such a, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's, it seems like such a, an understatement, but an ambassador to Batman. I mean, he's shown up everywhere to just embrace the fact that now he was Batman. I mean, I've talked about it before. I don't remember if I talked about it on here or another show, but like him being on King of Queens in an episode, um, you know, joking about going to a Comic-Con was like hysterical. And uh, he was on Big Bang Theory as himself. He's done so many appearances, like not to mention, I mean, his whole thing with Family Guy. But like this and those two sitcom episodes were what I watched when I found out he passed away and Mm -hmm. because we're lucky that, I mean, we're always going to have the sixties Batman show. Like I still love that show to no end, but it's this kind of stuff, seeing him after the fact that him being himself, like this is more him being Adam West in these kind of things. Um, Well, yeah. And when you, and when you think about it like that, I mean, and I don't mean to make this so heavy, but it's on my mind right now. I mean, if, this was the first thing I also watched when Adam West passed away. And it made me think, you know, you've got the two biggest, like you called him one of the biggest ambassadors for Batman. I would put Kevin Conroy on that level too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have two of the biggest, you know, torch bearers of Batman in the same episode together. Yeah. And it just, you know, as much as it probably crushed the people who grew up loving the 60 series when Adam West passed away, 
it just and I hope it's God forbid years and years and years from now it that that's the feeling that I'm going to have when Kevin Conroy passes. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and I know, but that's a morbid thought, and and I'm sorry to to make it that heavy, but it does it does make you think about how immortal, even after they pass, that this character makes these people. Yeah, and that's that's part of the reason we love Batman. Yeah, and to get all of this out of a, a twenty minute cartoon based on like you said, a take on Zorro. Yeah. Like we just talked about yeah. this in a very heavy manner, which like you said, that wasn't even the plan. We weren't just, we weren't assuming we were going to talk about it like this, but it's just, it kind of evokes that. And I think that speaks to the quality of the show. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, outside of all the, the mushy and the heavy stuff, it is just a really good episode of TV. It is, and the episode and, is mushy. Like we're, we're like the, I mean the, the tag at the end you know, the punchline of, not punchline, but the big, um, I don't know what you would call it, but just that big exclamation point at the end of um, the Grey Ghost was my hero and he still is. Like, it's, it's just a great way yeah. to end the episode. It is. And we were talking about um, music in the last episode. That Grey Ghost theme in mm-hmm. this episode is so cool. I mean, it, 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 it's got that, that old school... Uh, b-movie flair to it kind of reminds me of stuff like the rocketeer and things like yeah. that but you know but yeah I, I love the music and i love the story i just love everything about this episode um but i i will stop uh going on and on about <laughs> it uh but anyway any any anything to wrap it up there on the where the gray ghost joe i feel like i've done the majority of the talking no no you're good i i think you know between the two of us uh we've said all we can really say about this episode uh it's I, dare I say it? It might be. I don't even. I don't even want to harp on this because it's not like I would say. Like it's. It's a damn near perfect episode. I think the villain is the the weakest point of the episode, but it's so minuscule because it doesn't matter. The, the I'm glad. I'm almost glad that the villain is so irrelevant because it. Any other, if they put like a an iconic villain, it might have taken away from the spotlight being on Adam Weston and Kevin Conroy in this episode. Yeah. I agree. Okay, well, that that's where we'll wrap it up. Uh, this episode was chosen um, by me. I want to say you picked it too, Joe. Um, Jim Mentier, Lee Ankerit, Rebecca, Jay Yaws, Jim Bob Squarepants, and Nick Zednick. So it got a lot of love yeah, on our top five so. list, as it should. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great episode. Great, great. I'm fine. I'm glad we finally got to talk about it. Uh, but that. That is kind of where we're going to wrap it up for this episode. Um, it is spooky season. We wanted to get this, this uh, especially with, with the vampire aspect, we wanted to get this episode out. Um, Black Adam is absolutely going to throw a wrench in the spooky season stuff because this this will be our one and only Halloween special for this year. But you can look forward to our next episode being a review of Black Adam, and I am ridiculously excited for that, um, as I know you probably are too, Joe. Yes, I am. I actually just got my Black Adam t-shirt in the mail today when I got home. Oh, look Uh, at you. Yeah, I I don't have a Black Adam shirt. So I was like, you know what? I got to get a cool uh, Black Adam shirt. So I'm I'm excited to to throw that on and I'll be that guy that wears the Black Adam shirt in the movie theater on Thursday. And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm actually leaving work early on Thursday to go see it in the afternoon at like 3 o'clock. I have a 3 o'clock showing, which is pretty cool. Um, So I'm looking forward to going to see that. Nice. I have not decided yet whether we're going to do it next weekend or give it a week. 
So we'll, we'll have to decide that between myself and Joe, but um, just keep an eye out. We'll let you guys know when we're going to release that episode, but until then read some Batman Dracula, read some of that trilogy and enjoy, enjoy spooky season because it is still upon us. Um, and try to Joe, track that's, down that's some of those random Halloween specials on uh, on DC Universe because I'm I'm going to do that after we sign off here to see if I can find that that weird Infinite uh, Crisis one. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, think it's that, on DC I, Universe, but uh, there is some weird random ones on there. So I'm sure you can keep yourself busy. I wish they did more of the uh, the Halloween section, like they do the Halloween or the holiday section. But I'm sure you can find some. Did good DC stuff on there. do a Did they do a Halloween issue this year? Um, that I don't know. I found some random like Halloween specials over the years. They have some from like 2010, 2009. Um, yeah, but I don't know. They always do like the last year was the Swamp Thing one, or was that like a couple years ago? I can't remember honestly. Yeah, they've always done some. I, I don't know about a physical book this year, but usually they have something. Yeah, or it could. Come I'll keep out my eye year. out. Yeah, I mean next week. <laughs> Yeah. It could come out December. Yeah. 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 Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, Joe, that's where we're going to wrap it up. So uh, before we leave, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Letterboxd uh, as J411. Um, and then you can find me um, in the Facebook groups, in the Real Fans groups, that kind of stuff on uh, as Joe Fornarato, F-O-R-N-A-R-O-T-T-O. Um, I should have my Halloween franchise rankings done in a couple days after I rewatch the new trilogy. Um, if anyone wants to not discuss the new one, <laughs> I don't know if we want to discuss it, but I would love to defend that movie to anyone if anyone wants to discuss it. I'll defend it too. I'll just say that. So, but excellent, excellent. Um, as for myself, you can find my personal accounts on Twitter and uh, Instagram and Letterboxd. That's M.E. Carter 89, me Carter 89. Um, the show can once again be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. Once again, if you leave us an email, that's tfrbatpod at gmail.com. We will read those on the show. If you're looking for a way to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, if you do, if you leave one on Apple Podcasts and leave a written review, we will read those on the show as well. Another way you can support us, uh, we don't ask that you spend a dime, but if you'd like to, you can go to uh, redbubble.com and search shop TFR, all one word. Our cool logos are on all kinds of stuff that you can rock from that website. So go check that out. And that's going to do it for this episode, the spooky episode of The Fire Rises. So until then, until the next time, until we see you again, make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointed skyward.
so so you're watching batman the animated series quietly did you just yeah. win something on ebay i did look at you i had the my stick broke last night so i had to put an offer in for a new stick and i didn't feel like uh it's a freaking it a hockey stick oh yeah that is a huge letdown. I thought it was going to be something cool, something no, Batman nothing related. Good, unfortunately, but I'm, I need I'm to recording do this. This. <laughs> this is going to be the stinger. <laughs> Probably, yeah. 